This week, we're out in the field with British flower growers, but will things be rosy in the garden post-Brexit? My priority is to protect the jobs of the people who work here uh, and to make sure that we still are able to offer employment. It's very important for this bit of South Lincolnshire where it's a big industry. When I hear politicians, political commentators talking about Brexit is going to be great because we're going to get cheaper food, that's what really sets the alarm bells ringing very loudly. Also, as it's Easter, we're talking lambing and with near record numbers of triplets being born, we hear of the work being done just to feed them all. We've got a machine with the the teats that go into the wall and they, they draw milk from a machine behind the wall. They're effectively the mother for these lambs. Sunday. April 16th, 2017. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Happy Easter. Now, it may be, for some, the Easter holidays, but the UK's exit from the EU is still very much top of the agenda, ensuring agriculture isn't ignored in the negotiations now taking place. This week, Manette Batters, the Deputy President of the NFU, visited Holbeach flower grower Matthew Naylor to see how Brexit might affect that industry. Our own Matt Soans went along to meet both of them to find out more about the visit and about Matthew's business. We grow a range of outdoor cut flowers uh, for supermarkets, so all sorts of things from daffodils at this time of year to ornamental cabbages, sunflowers, gladiola, about 12 different species. And you've invited Manette here today. Uh, Why? Well, that's right. We're going through a massive change as the UK leaves uh, the European Union and so the NFU is trying to um, understand all the what what's how this affects all sorts of farming businesses so we're really glad that she's come down to hear about flower growing. It's, it's always great to, to come out um, to, to any growers business and, and the cut flower sector um, we, we don't see so much of it, it's a small um, part but that said incredibly progressive um, and it's, it's just always a joy to come out and, and walking around um, Matt's business, um, seeing the daffodils, the sweet williams, the tulips. It's, it's just great. When you think of farming, you don't really tend to think flower growing, no. but it is part of the industry, albeit a small, you know, we import quite a lot of flowers, but it is important nonetheless. Oh, without doubt. I mean, my background has very much been in, in catering and we run a wedding business and I've seen enormous growth in brides wanting to use British flowers. It, it's such um, a, a wonderful opportunity to tie in the food. People are, are far more engaged with actually sourcing uh, locally and buying British food and to see them using British flowers is uh, fantastic. So Brexit, uh, how do you look at it? Do you see it as, as an opportunity or do you see it as a, as a big you know, challenge to your business? It's an opportunity in a very, very good disguise, as far as I'm concerned. We're not going to lie down and take it. We've been talking today about our business strategy, and we've got a clear plan. But my priority is to protect the jobs of the people who work here uh, and to make sure that we still are able to offer employment. It's very important for this bit of South Lincolnshire, where it's a big industry. Yeah, and you rely to a certain extent on migrant labour to you know, do, do the flower-picking work. Do you see that as under threats? Well, definitely there's uncertainty about um, what kind of deal will be negotiated where uh, people have settled here. I, I think that some people, a lot of our workers, have chosen to settle here. They pay their taxes, their children are in school, and they're no different to anyone who ever... You know, we've always had lots of, whether it was the Anglo-Saxons or the Huguenots, there's always been people moving into our, you know, 
take part in our diverse and progressive economy. So hopefully some will settle. But yeah, there are some challenges. It'll be interesting to see what we can do with mechanisation um, and, and also what we can do through negotiation. You must hear similar things from all over the country about sort of migrant labour and the demand farmers have for it. Very much so. And I mean, you know, within the horticultural sector, seasonal labour is obviously a huge part of it. I mean, we currently employ 80,000 uh, foreign workers, so people that come here, pick and pack um, crops and then go home again. Um, so it's, seasonal labour is, is a very important um, part of, of this business and many other businesses. But I think the, the point that Matt makes too is also about underpinning uh, the rural economy. So the jobs associated here, but, but also the business as a whole. And that is something that we're finding and trying to make the case for right across the country. We launched a big economic report at our conference that made the case that for every pound invested into agriculture brings a return of £7.40. And I think it's, it's a case for us, it's a case for the NFU of making the case for farming, but really of making the case for rural Britain, the challenges and the opportunities and the threats for rural Britain. And, you know, that is, is a core part of, of our work. So what, what was sort of the mood amongst your workers um, sort of after the referendum? It was quite sombre. Um, it was surprising because we weren't expecting that result. It was a bit like a... Um, it was almost funereal uh, the day after. It was really, and we did talk to everyone. I think since then we've had time to reflect on it and, you know, we'll find a strategy to to deal with it and, you know, to deal with the sort of devaluation of sterling. But it, yeah, it was, it was quite, I found it quite sad actually, but as a businessman, I have to accept that, you know, that's a, uh, we probably need to make some changes on the back of it. Yeah, you've alluded it to it already, sort of the plan you have over the next few years. What are you looking at? Well, a devalued pound um, means that buying things in from abroad is more expensive. So we have to make sure that we're not buying, we have to think a lot about currency. Um, otherwise, we're going to be going and uh, picking flowers in, in the Eurozone if we're not careful. It'll work the opposite way around. Um, so we're trying to do more, keep more things in-house. Uh, and yeah, and we're looking at the ways of mechanising things and making these jobs easier to do and requiring fewer people. Surely that's an opportunity for you. If the pound is devalued, you, you when you people look at importing versus keeping things in the UK, uh, do you think there's an opportunity for you to sort of increase your market share there? Arguably, yes. Um, the challenge is that imported products are uh, are still they have much lower. Um, wages than we have here and we're still buying in a lot of inputs so most of the things that British agriculture buys like fertiliser, um, tyres for tractors, even tractors themselves, a lot of those are imported so if a farm's making 5% profit then a lot of that 95% has just gone up by 16%. Manette, what do you think um, farmers need to do over the next few years to take advantage of Brexit because you know it's a double-edged sword really, it can be a uh, an opportunity and it can you know there are various things in in the negotiations that could go badly wrong what do farmers need to do what do they need to look at i think many of the farmers that we speak to um are really concerned about the uncertainty so they want to be able to prepare for the post-brexit era farming is very much uh, a long-term business you know i'm putting um we're, we're beef farmers at home 
and we're putting bulls to cows, you know, ultimately that beef won't be on the shelves until um, the early part of 2019. So we're very much long-term businesses. We need as much political certainty as we can have about the future so that people can plan and prepare uh, for the post-Brexit world. But I can't probably stress enough, you know, when we talk about access to the European marketplace, we've been trading tax-free for over... Um, you know, a, a number of years. We've been part of the European Union for in excess of 40 years. So it's been a long-term trading relationship that we feel is, is fundamental to farming's future. Um, a WTO default position in two years' time is not going to be good for agriculture in this country. It's not going to be good for, for the British consumer. Um, you know, being able to buy product from Europe when net importers... Uh, has been very, very good for, for the British consumer. Currently, 12% of annual income spent on food. So food has never been cheaper. Um, the British consumer is getting a, a great deal, not just in the cut flour price, but also in food prices. And when I hear politicians, political commentators, talking about Brexit is going to be great because we're going to get cheaper food, that's what really sets the alarm bells uh, ringing very loudly and I think the British consumer really values British production standards and and we we need to shout about that and we need our consumers to really really support that that ask. The NFU is Manette Batters with Whole Beach flower grower Matthew Naylor speaking to Matt Soans there and we'll have more from that interview next Sunday on the programme as well when they get on to looking at not necessarily Brexit but about the future of the industry itself, whether robotics can play a part as it seems to be across much of agriculture. We'll uh, play that for you next Sunday morning. Well, it is Easter, um, but uh, he's still here, of course. <laughs> he hasn't brought me an egg, though. Uh, it's uh, Sean Sparling from Sparling Agronomy Services. Hello, Sean. Good morning, Sean. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter to all the listener. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't really stop in my job. When uh, It doesn't matter what Easter time of year Easter happens. It's always busy this time of year. The good thing is that when you get an Easter bank holiday, it's usually uh, usually wet. And that, if you talk to farmers, that's what they want at the moment. About a fortnight ago, they wanted dry, but now apparently they want wet. Um, we get what we get. And I would just urge caution and just be careful what you wish for, because 2012, if you remember, it started off an awful lot drier than this. We had 12 or 13 mil of rain in March, and then it started in April. So we get what we get. We just have to deal with it. There's plenty of moisture underneath for the time being, and it will sustain these crops sugar beet plant if we start with sugar beet sugar beet that went in seven days ago is already up and through the ground um, i would urge caution as well on sugar beet with your first post-emergence herbicide if you haven't put a pre-em on and the order of the pre-em is to just hold on to the broadleaf weeds stop them taking over the small crop if you didn't put a pre-em on you need to be fairly proactive with getting in there before those weeds start to outcompete the sugar beet but if you've got frosts about for goodness sake be very very careful um, with herbicides in general because the frost knocks the wax off they become very susceptible before they get to uh, fully expanded cotyledon to crop damage so just be careful if that means leaving it a couple of days leave it a couple of days Um, plenty of mixes you can put on there speak to your agronomist and pick the kindest one that's likely to be kindest to a small crop Um, also while we're talking about sugar beet I have heard reports that there is some thrip out there I haven't seen any thrip damage on sugar beet I haven't seen it for 15 years Um, and I find it difficult to believe there's a lot of thrip because 
it's too cold, it's too windy, and I can't think there's going to be an awful lot of damage. But if you start to see leathery cotyledons, they go leathery um, and quite dark, then you may need to put an insecticide on. Um, right, let's just move on then to oilseed rape. Mostly the main first fungicide is applied now already. I was talking to somebody at ADAS the other day, and they're telling me that over 90% of the petals that they are testing are testing positive for sclerotinia. So now would be a very good time to start thinking ahead to what you're going to do mid-flowering from 20-pod set because obviously it's as the petals fall and stick to the stem that allows the botrytis in and that lets the sclerotinia into the stem. So your petal fall protectant spray is the one which will help you on that front. So just start thinking ahead a little bit. The good protectants are what you need. Um, In general, they look pretty good. Blackgrass control, pretty good. Very little in the way of bugs. Absolutely full of bees at the moment, which is awesome. Moving on to winter wheat, winter barley, we are now, as things warm up, we're into the stage where filicron is the production of a leaf all due to uh, day temperatures and accumulated day degree. So everything is now governed by temperatures. And the way filicron works is the simple way to look at it is if you take the day temperature, the maximum day temperature, take 10 off it and keep what's left then you need to keep adding up until you get to 80, and 80 day degrees means you will have a leaf emerge. So as things stand at the moment, if you've got leaf four out today, uh, and we stay with temperatures of 14 degrees, it's going to be 20 days before leaf three emerges. That's why you need to be very, very cautious about timing your T1, because that wants to go on when leaf three has emerged. Some of the forward wheats are already there, the backward ones are not there. So slice them open, have a look, and make sure that you're right before you go charging in. And also be very careful if you're thinking about putting a T0 and a half on. Um, quite apart from it being an extra expense you possibly don't need, um, if you put a sniff of a triazole on to control a bit of rust in a crop until you get to T1, a sniff of a triazole as things warm up will do you no favours at all on septoria because you'll make the resistance issues worse. So just be aware of that. A um, lot of yellow rust showing now in KWS Lily as well as the Skyfalls, uh, the Santiago's and all the usual subjects, suspects like reflection. Uh, pea and bean weevil showing up widely on emerged crops of peas. You need to be dealing with that. It's not the adults that cause the problem, it's the larvae that cause the problem. So be on top of that and just keep your eyes open. And BYDV vector aphids are out there. Grain aphid, rose grain aphid, rose bird cherry aphid. They're all out there at the moment. So if you've got emerged spring barley and you can find them in there, you may well need to put a pyrethroid on just to hold on to them. Tie that in with a manganese because that'll wax them up and get them running and help the rooting. Um, Apart from that... It's all pretty mundane and slow and nothing going on out there. It's absolutely manic at the moment. So all I'm going to do is go home, eat my egg, and then I'm back out again. Indeed. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Last week on the programme, Ellie mentioned the ewe in East Yorkshire, which gave birth to five lambs, said to be a one-in-a-million event. Well, is it me, or are there a lot of those involved in lambing this year reporting triplets and quins? More than I can remember for a long time, or maybe I'm just noticing it more, I don't know. Anyway, Joe Sentence has met one such farmer, Robert Nicholson. This is our busiest time of the year, both from a a visitor point of view and also the number of births. And this year we've had an incredible number of triplets. I would think... 
say out of the 70 that have lambed so far, I would say at least 20 have been triplets. So uh, we've never had that before. Big numbers, and I'm looking down on this little pen here where the triplets are, and you, you've kind of had to improvise a little bit with a sort of false mother in the wall. Yeah, that's right. Th- those with 20 odd lambs that were born, they were triplets from February, February half term lambers. And um, we've got a machine with the, the teats that sort of um, go into the, into the wall and they, they draw milk from a machine behind the wall. So they're, they're effectively the, uh, the, the mother for these lambs. Those and me, my father also acts as a surrogate uh, parent for them as well. And explain to me what your working day is like at the moment. Well, at the moment I'm getting up about 5.30 and then I'm uh, taking the dogs out. I come up here to the, the lambing shed. We go live on Facebook anytime between six and a half past. I spend an hour, an hour and a half on Facebook just, just talking to people, answering questions, just giving them a, a flavour of our um, you know, of our, of our working day, our family farm, yeah. Um, and then after that, I just get on with the rest of the job. Some of it's admin-based, some of it's on the farm. I've got a really varied role. I'm lucky in that respect. I've got a really varied job. Early starts, late nights, though. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, but we share it out a bit. My dad and David tend to do the lates, although I was up here at midnight last night. And um, but it's it's not all year, you know, and uh, and we're all really committed, the three of us, to um, you know to making sure that we can rear every lamb possible, and that uh, you know that everyone enjoys the the time looking at them as well. You know, we, I don't think we've ever been more together on it. Really, we're really enjoying it. And your dad's a bit of an inspiration, is he? What is he? Seventy four now. Seventy four, and um, he absolutely loves it. He loves every moment, and I think he's just grateful that uh, you know he's, he had. He had a couple of stents last year and then last summer he broke three or four ribs and collapsed a lung when a, a cow knocked a door onto him. So he's had his moments, but uh, I think he's just grateful that he's been able to recover, you know, thanks to the NHS really, been able to recover and, uh, and be enjoying, enjoying his life out here with the, with the animals. You know, he just, he just goes along with whatever David and I do. We just, we just have a laugh really and, uh, and show people what, uh, what's going on. And, you know, most of the time things go well, occasionally they don't, occasionally we lose lambs. But we, we want to show it as it is, not some sanitised version of of, uh, of nothing ever goes wrong. It, it just does sometimes, and uh, and we do, we do our best to make sure it doesn't, and, uh, and and people seem to be enjoying that. Does seeing a, a little lamb ever get old for you? No, I, I enjoy every one, to be fair, and I think being able to share it with other people, because obviously we're only open for the hours we're open, and only a certain number... Of, people see being born but obviously with the Facebook dimension it enables people who maybe don't visit the farm anymore they might just be customers in the white bull they might be customers in the farm shop but it lets them see what's happening behind behind these farm gates really and uh, yeah people are really buying into it they love it Robert Nicholson they're busy as many of you are I'm sure with lambing at the moment Weather for the week ahead in a moment. First, the grey news from Open Field, and it's a happy Easter to Henry Young. And to you. Plenty of Easter eggs, I hope. Uh, yeah, you enjoying yours? <laughs> yeah, I'm not eating them yet. I'll save them to later, save them to later. What's, uh, what's been happening with grain, then? Um, it's all been very nice weather out there. I will put my neck on the line here and saying it's actually allowed a lot of people to get caught up with spring drilling, spring work, and it may have actually allowed a few of you to actually have Sunday off, which will always, always be quite nice. But we have got a lot of people now wanting some rain as well. So we'll just keep our fingers crossed and actually see if that appears at some point in the next couple of weeks. So having a bit of a look at these markets, last week we saw a USDA report out, currency is also firming, and dry conditions here in the UK and across the world are also, shall we say, starting to have a little factor on the market. 
So having a look at the markets in a bit more detail, especially at this USDA report. So looking at the wheat, nothing's really changed kind of worldwide. Stocks have risen in the four major exporters being the US, Australia, Canada and the Black Sea. This is because there's been that lack of export demand. So at the moment, unchanged. Current, uh, the, the prices are pretty much unchanged, which we'll look at later on. Um, the only thing that's going to really drive this market now is if we see some serious currency uh, changes or if there's a weather problem. Just having a quick look at the corn. I know I talk about the corn. It's also always important to look at that one just because of the factor it does have on the, wheat, on the feed wheat market. World production is up 6 million tonnes. This is relating to both old and new crop. So the new crop figures may well change. We'll wait and see on that one. The biggest gains have been seen in the South America and Mexico. Um, so we'll, we'll see how the, the, uh, the exports work on there as well. Looking at the US on the, on the corn markets, that's unchanged, uh, unchanged on the import numbers at 13.1 million tonnes, which is actually 4 million tonnes above the current kind of pace. So we'll then see how that plays out into the markets. Something to take no, note of at the moment, actually, within the UK is, this, uh, is the, the imports and the fact that we're currently at import parity. So will we see some, some, some imports coming in? But the thing is, how cheap is going to be cheap? We are seeing consumers actually holding off and actually buying more uh, domestic and preferring domestic. Uh, but the forward prices, as, as they are at the moment, quite a lot of people are actually covering their annual requirements. So does this mean later on in the season they're going to be out of the market? Is wheat going to have to travel further? Uh, but we'll wait and see. At the end of the day, it's only the 16th of April. So, so there's still time out there. So having a bit of a look at those prices, April at the moment, 145 to 148. June 147 to 149, harvest 129 to 132, and November 133 through 135. I remember probably this time two years ago we were talking at those numbers in 90s. So I know I know it's kind of hard to swallow because it's off the top, but it's worth having a look at the Aussie rate. The USDA report it was bearish against the uh, against the soybean, but the prices are up. There's been a series of changes. Obviously, they're talking about a bigger uh, soy crop within the US. That's going to have an impact going forward. But do remember, they have started some of the drilling, but quite a bit of it is still in the back. Prices are starting to react on the back of on the back of currency. Prices are going up slightly from the lows that we have seen. There is some dry weather at the moment in Argentina, which should allow the farmers to continue with the harvest over there. So that may have a negative impact kind of next week. So having a look at those prices, April. 332, June 334, harvest 293, and then November 303. Remember, you will get your bonuses on those as well, so maybe it's worth having a, having a bit of a think about. The barley market, malting barley, well, it's suffering from growers and consumers' uh, apathy for the last week. Uh, with England 90% completed on the drilling, Scotland heading towards 60% completed, with uh, good prospects for the um, for kind of the 2017 harvest. Old crop markets have been supported by kind of some just-in-time buying from the trade. However, this demand is becoming uh, is becoming kind of covered. Uh, on the continent, France has finished its drilling with a num- uh, number of weeks ago. Denmark is approaching 35% completed, giving the drilling outlook and current uh, prospects for the new crop values. They're going to come under pressure as consumers and buyers step back to the market, see how everything's going to come through, and then they'll come back in. So we'll see what happens. But those harvest values will come under some pressure if you need harvest movement. So the price at the moment, April 17, 119 to 122. 
June 122 to 123, Harvest 108 to 109, November 113 to 116, with premiums for malting barley 25 to 30 pounds. Thank you very much. Henry Young from Open Field. Right, what's the coming week got in store for us? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, today some sunshine, but uh, rain in the afternoon in places. Highs of 10 Celsius, the wind from the west, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, further showers. Could be uh, heavy rain in places first thing tomorrow morning. Lows tomorrow morning at 4 Celsius. Uh, The wind from the north, uh, 10 to 20 miles an hour, maybe gusting to 30 for a time around midnight. Tomorrow, some sunny spells, but uh, showers also possible. 10 Celsius the high once again. The wind from the north, 15 to 20 miles an hour. And then overnight Monday to Tuesday, a colder night. Clear skies should be dry. Temperatures down to 1 or 2 degrees. And the wind from the north-northwest at 10, 15 miles an hour, gusting at 25 miles an hour for a time. Plenty of sunshine for Tuesday, though the possibility of an isolated shower. 9 Celsius the high, the wind from the northeast, 15 to 20 miles an hour. And then clear skies again overnight, pushing temperatures near freezing point, actually, first thing Wednesday morning. The wind from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. Patchy cloud through Wednesday, highs of 10 Celsius, the wind dropping down from the north, 5 miles an hour. And then for the latter end of the week, well, it looks like uh, sunny spells, some showers as well, a little bit warmer again, highs nearer 13 Celsius, with your overnight lows of 3 to 5 degrees. And that's the forecast. Next week, more from our chat with Minette Batters and Matthew Naylor, looking at robotics, how that's changing the face of agriculture right across the board. That's uh, next Sunday when I'll return, unless, of course, they find a robot to take over the programme. Hopefully not just yet. Have a good Easter. hope you have a uh, better week than a German couple who were parked in just the wrong place this week. They were by the side of a field in a convertible, and a farmer who was uh, spreading on his land turned his tractor units around failed to spot the car and sprayed it and the couple head to toe in slurry i'll leave you with that image (laughs) until next sunday have a good week